you don't want to get attached and lose a baby and yet you want to be investing in their lives and caring for them and honestly you feel like you're on trial and that god's on trial Mm. like because if this baby doesn't make it they're going to say well you know you're telling me all about god but he didn't save my baby This is a podcast that tells stories about what God is doing right now in the world. We focus on what is happening with, in, or through Christians. The Bible says in Psalm 107 verses 1 and 2, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others He has redeemed you from your enemies. I'm your host, Emma Moore. Our interviewer is Jan Gebert. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome back to Seeing God. Today, we're publishing an interview that we did a long time ago. In fact, this was one of our first interviews, and we recorded it quite a while before we launched, probably a year or two ago by now. It is finally making its way to you, and we are excited to share it. It is with a woman named Heather. Heather is a missionary doctor in South Asia. She works extremely long hours and sees many extremely difficult things. In this episode, she tells us about why she does it, about some of the successes, and about what it's like to face the hardest moments. She also tells us, of course, where she sees God in all of that. Today, I want to welcome Heather. Heather, uh, we're actually not in our studio. We are sitting in South Asia, where Heather has been living for how many years? Uh, 19. 19 years. Wow. So Heather's here, and uh, what do people call you here? Well, some people call me Fool or Dr. Fool. My, okay. la- my <laughs> last name is uh, the word for flower here, and so uh, Fool and Flower. Fool is the word for flower, and they call me Dr. Fool. That's a rather humbling experience, I take it. (laughs) Well, it it works okay. At least they can say my name. (laughs) That's great. I love it. So, doctor, how long have you been a medical doctor? I finished my training in the U.S. in um, 1998. So, just a little over 20 years. Did you go to medical school to be able to come to work in a place like this? Yes. Actually, when I was a teen, at the age of 14, I read the book Doctar, and God used that to direct me towards medical missions. First, I thought I'd be doing something like lab work or something like that, but just sort of grew as a dream. And I specifically went to undergrad and to medical school with the purpose of becoming a physician in this place. Can you uh, share with us a little bit about how you grew up and how you came to know God? My parents weren't believers. Um, They actually sort of compromised. My mom was Catholic and my dad was sort of nominal Baptist, and they chose to go to 
a Lutheran church and uh, never really heard the gospel there. But when I was five years old, we went to the county fair and uh, my parents just uh, out of four kids dropped me off at the little child evangelism fellowship booth where there was a presentation of the wordless book. And that's the first time I heard the gospel. And I clearly remember going home that night realizing that I was a sinner, that I had violated the rules of a holy God and that I needed Jesus Christ as a savior. And I asked him to save me. As a five-year-old. So you were the only one in your family that had made a decision like that when you were five? at that time, yes. And then what happened? Well, God did work in my family. Um, My mom started watching some evangelists on television and requested a Bible, and God led her to the Lord through that. And uh, we started attending a local church, Awana clubs, and eventually um, we all came to know the Lord, all six of us. My family, five of us were baptized, and the pastor's like, we're going to leave the water in the baptismal pool because we think God's going to do something. And within two weeks, my dad had come forth and said that he was a believer, that he accepted Christ in the silo, realized that he needed him, and uh, he was also baptized. In the silo. Okay. Grew up on a dairy farm, and silos are kind of dark and dank places, but they're good places to think. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, God worked there. Mm. How did you get to this location? Why did you choose to come here? Well, uh, when I was about 15 or 16, I actually started writing to mission agencies to find out what I needed to do and how I needed to prepare. And at that point in time, only one agency replied. So I kind of stuck with them over the years. And uh, through that whole process. Then when I finally got into my residency training, I uh, applied through that agency. And when I came to our candidate classes, there were only a few places that actually had uh, medical works at that point in time. And it was uncertain if they really needed somebody at this present location. So email was very, very sketchy at that point in time. That was 1997. And uh, In any event, they said, we have enough people, but they didn't say if that was with me or without me. And then the internet went down on the field and so went through candidate class, not really knowing if they actually wanted me to come or not to come. And they had had exposure to me because I was here for three months as a medical student. So, but I wasn't sure if they had a, a full house and were okay or if they wanted me, but God seemed to be particularly leading here. Um, Some of the other countries, um, it was expressed that male physicians could work and share the gospel with women quite as readily as as women physicians, but this culture uh, lent itself to having a woman doctor working with women, and they had been praying for a woman doctor for a long time. Mm. So what kind of residency did you do? I uh, did family practice. So can you tell us what a typical day would be like for you? Oh, a typical day for me at this point in time involves usually getting to the hospital sometime between 5 and 5.30 and rounding on our inpatients. And then if I have a few minutes, I'll sneak some tea and some naan at the canteen, have some breakfast. And then um, several days a week, we have our employee health that we provide care for all of our staff members and their family members. And that usually runs from 7 to 8 or 8.30. And then most days I'll have a C-section to uh, do follow-up routine so C-section. So you do obstetrics. So I do um, some OB in my spare time. 
And uh, then by the time that's over, it's and time to head to clinic. too. You do cystic infections. Um, I do, yeah, C-sections. Yeah, and not much else as far as surgery is concerned. But how many C-sections do you do a year? I've done as many as four hundred, so it's it's varied. I've done uh, two thousand four hundred and five or six at this point in time. Wow. Just did a count the other day. So how many deliveries happen at this hospital? When when we're up and running f- full time, anywhere from 100 to 120. Um, deliveries. Deliveries. And that would be total births. So that okay. would count C-sections as well. That it, would be 100 to 120 per month. Per month. Per okay. month. Oh. Yeah. Oh, and, wow. Um, so but we have midwives that do most of the routine delivery. So I do most of the high risk OB. Um, we haven't had an obstetrician here for about eight and a half years. Mm. So, Wow. That must be really a kind of a lot at times. Um, the needs are great. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's, and there's, sadly, that we have to turn away many patients. We yeah. just can't receive everyone who wants care in the area. Yeah. Um, for, for obstetrical care and to deliver babies. So that's, that's probably the hardest part. The workload is heavy, but having to say no to people or suggesting that they get care elsewhere is very difficult. What's the part of what you do that you like the most? Interacting with the women. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though it's five, five thirty in the morning, you know, babies don't really sleep. So usually you go in there and there's several people that are awake. And at that point in time, you're not quite as consumed by the cares of the day. So you can uh, talk with the ladies and they'll ask you about your family and your kids. And of course I'm single. So I get to explain a little bit about they're my family and they're my kids and I enjoy caring for them. And so I have that opportunity. Is life here, is it easy? (laughs) Well, you know, everybody likes working 120 or 130 hour work weeks. If you add in call and everything like that and it, it makes for, you know, a pleasant atmosphere and a challenge and yeah, bring why, it on. Why do you do that? Why do I do that? You know what? That's a very good question. Um, that I often ask myself, why? Why am I still here? Because um, there have been some ups and downs in the roads over the last 19 years. But um, God continues to provide God continues to show that he is trustworthy and, and faithful, and the needs are great. And um, the opportunity to hopefully share truth and light with these with these women especially um, mm. continues to spur me on. I know that you have seen God do incredible things here. You've also seen sometimes that were didn't feel incredible. But you probably have been assured that God's at work, but I just want to ask you, could you share with us some of the things that you've been experiencing recently uh, about God working, how you've seen him work? So I came back from furlough about seven months ago, and there have been a lot of changes, and um, the team's been under a fair amount of stress. We've tried to increase our obstetrical care again, and uh, it's a lot of work because Babies don't come on a set schedule, and when people are sick, they tend to be really sick. And so um, it's been hard to see the team work through that and to see many of them not comfortable with uh, building up this this level of care again. 
And so I think um, one patient that really encouraged me was she had come in and um, a tribal woman and really no access to care and had been in labor for a long, long time. And she came in looking so bedraggled and forlorn and the baby was so sick. And we took her right to the operating room and, and sectioned her. And um, afterwards, she didn't know any better. So she put on her filthy clothes again. I mean, obviously when you're in labor, you're not too clean and uh, went in and I'm like, how is she going to get well with these filthy clothes on? And she was so um, weak and sad at that point in time, not sure how the baby was going to do. And as she was there over the next four or five days, God just transformed that woman in terms of um, she was able to get cleaned up. She was able to feel better. She was able to hold her baby. The baby did survive. Um, her husband went out and bought her new clothing and she just had joy all over her face. And so as she's there, you know, the, the contrast between seeing her in her filthy clothes and near death, really, and then in her new clothing and um, wreathed, faith wreathed and smiles and stuff and i just wish i could show you a picture but she's a beautiful mm. woman has a beautiful baby and we were here for her mm. and uh, god allowed us to have that impact in, in her life and, and really change her life's outcome mm. from a physical point of view and we trust that god will also use that spiritually mm -hmm. and that's a lot of what we do um, we don't see many people professing christ in our labor and delivery room our postpartum ward but we trust that that compassion that we're able to demonstrate and them seeing us demonstrate compassion to other women in the room that God will use that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've, uh, you also cover just the general ward, the medical uh, inpatients. How is God working there? Sometimes that's a little slower. One of the biggest things is tied directly to the OB and mm -hmm. doing um, the, the NICU care mm -hmm. and uh, neonatal care for the tiny tinies and just last week we were able to send home a baby who had been born 10 weeks early mm -hmm. and uh, really struggled they they didn't get home until day of life 23 so mm -hmm. and while you're doing that um you're saying is this one gonna make it and you, mm -hmm. you're like drawing back because you don't want to you don't want to get attached and mm -hmm. lose a baby and yet you want to be investing in their lives and caring for them and honestly you feel like you're on trial and that God's on trial. Mm. Like, because if this baby doesn't make it, they're going to say, well, you know, you're telling me all about God, but he didn't save my baby. Mm. And so it, it can be very difficult. But we, um, we have a short term around the field and she actually made a little graduation cap for this baby. And we, we had pictures and she got those printed up. So when mom comes back, um, we can encourage the mom with those pictures. But again, just investing for those you know, 27, 28 days that mom was in the hospital mm -hmm. with her with her baby and that baby surviving. So. so these patients come in and you take care of them. So how do they hear about God? So we have the opportunity to, to pray with them, which we try to do on a regular basis. But we also have um, social workers who serve as evangelists uh, in our wards. And they also spend a lot of time not only teaching um, healthcare issues, but also sharing the gospel. We also have several um, audiovisual presentations uh, that they try to present on the word on a regular basis. And literature that's available, 
Um, a lot of the women are too tired or too busy, uh, but a lot of the male patients actually will read the literature and then we have a Bible correspondence school that they can privately participate in and um, receive New Testaments and books of the Bible and that kind of thing. So that's a good avenue on that side of it. Hmm. Could you tell us about somebody who actually came in completely unaware of who Jesus was and then through someone, you know, in your sphere of influence that, that uh, was changed? We had a man, uh, again, this was a tribal man, young, uh, maybe early 20s, and he uh, fell down and broke his back. Mm. And um, he got so he could walk with a walker. But the tribal folks live up in the hills, and their houses are actually built up on stilts. It was impossible for him to return home and to live with his family. He, he just couldn't function. He couldn't get to his bedroom, that kind of thing. So he stayed around here. And uh, interestingly, the first pictures that I have before I went on a furlough, he was going around in his beer advertisement shirts and, and all of these things, not really knowing what they said, but it was, it was kind of a curious thing. And then I came back and uh, in that six or seven months time, um, he had accepted Christ. And within two months of my returning, he had decided that he wanted to change his name to Lazarus. And he mm. was baptized here in our swimming pool. <laughs> on the compound uh -huh. so yes he pursued christ and eventually he went back to his village area he didn't live in his own family home but he wanted to be able to to share christ with his neighbors in his own village and so after about five or six years of being down here after his back injury he, he returned to share the gospel in his community that's that's really amazing so over time, yes. uh, the thing that yeah. brought him and initially uh, touched him and, and allowed him just to hear God's word was being injured, yes. being here mm -hmm. at the hospital. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And such a team effort. You know, mm -hmm. you're doing this, somebody else is doing that. You have social workers and other people that, you know, follow up. And so that that's really, really amazing. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's obvious there's a lot of pressure in a lot of... Uh, hard things. I know that uh, you face a lot of death. Yes. And sometimes you see patients that you might fix up now, but you know they're going to go back to a situation that's abysmal. Would you mind sharing with us what it's like to walk with God through that? So this is a poem, part of a poem actually, from a man who served as a chaplain during World War I and um, just reminds me of how Jesus recognizes what we're going through here and certainly knows suffering beyond anything that we know. And it's like this, The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to thy throne. And to our wounds only God's wounds can speak, for not a god has wounds but thou alone. I'm grateful for the very hard times that you didn't think you're actually going to make it through that God sustained me because now when it's sort of kind of hard, <laughs> I can look it back at those and have those as a resource. Uh, I remember a quote, J. Hudson Taylor, you know, I can't think, I can't pray, I can't 
you know, really do anything. I can't read the Bible, but I can trust. And when those are the very, very difficult days, um, you can do that. When the missionary to the New Hebrides is up in the trees, when the uh, headhunters are, are down on the ground. And, and again, you know, I look at it and it's like, I haven't physically faced anything like that, but sometimes it feels like the challenges are sort of at that level that emotionally, physically, this is not bearable. Mm -hmm. um, and again, yet uh, seeing God sustain me. Um, I've had the opportunity to share in a Bible study for our women's ward. And in 2009, I decided, oh, we do the story of hope. And then... What's the story of hope? Uh, well, basically, yeah, some basic stories from the Bible that would um, help introduce people to the message of Christ and, and open those doors. So, and uh, it's, I can't remember how many stories it is, but I was like, when I started, I was like, oh, I can't do this. I have to, I have to tell all the stories. So we started <laughs> a little too much, huh? <laughs> so we started in Genesis and uh, we're all the way up to the book of Acts. And um, so this over, is with the staff over, members. With the staff. The and okay. some are believers, some mm -hmm. are, are not. And I think um, that's one thing that's, it, it challenged me to be in God's word, but it also makes me accountable before the national staff because as I'm teaching various stories in God's word and I'm like, they're watching me. Am I mm -hmm. living these stories? Am I, am I truly living this life that I'm trying to teach? And mm -hmm. so over year, over the years, that's been a, a factor that has embarrassed me and challenged me uh, mm -hmm. time and time again mm -hmm. to um, be be that person of God that I'm trying to teach them about and mm -hmm. challenge them to be. It sounds like every single day you have a lot of pressure to see lots of very sick people, sometimes life and death, not infrequently, I mean, truly life and death. You see a lot of suffering and you are in this place to walk with God and allow people to see it. You know, to be to be like this living example, you know, not all of us are in that high of a pressure situation in a place where so many people have so little knowledge of Christ. And yet here you are day in, day out, and you do that. Not always well. I, yeah find myself <laughs> getting uh, yeah the heat gets to you and the the pressures get to you and yeah you're reminded again and again how frail we are and how dependent we are mm -hmm. on god this makes me think of a, a quote from um, helen rosevere and uh, this is from her book give me this mountain and it says if you think you have come to the mission field for the service you can render or even the souls you may see saved you will fail the Lord has only one purpose, ultimately, for each one of us, to make us like Jesus. And time and time again, I'm reminded of where I'm not like Jesus, and I'm challenged to be more like Jesus. And so, we're in this process, we're, we're sharing with people, we're trying to challenge people about Christ and their need for Christ, we're trying to encourage our believing nationals to be salt and light in their community and that yet the the pressure sort of just reminds you of how far we all have to go and i think um that humbles me 
and reminds me that, you know, I'm not really here as their spiritual leader or spiritual teacher. We are very much in this together as we're in this cauldron and, and trying to um, show Christ mm. to the community mm. around us. Mm. What has surprised you the most in walking with God, in, your, in, in who He is in your life? What surprised you the most? Well, I think um, what I've really been working through lately, and as I mentioned, we do some, some storying going through the Bible, and then looking through those stories and being reminded that the God who told Abraham to sacrifice his son and that Abraham got up early in the morning and went, that that God is the God who is with me and he has high expectations mm. of me, but he's also with me and he sees my heart. Mm. Um, the God who was with David when he went down into that valley, defending, defending God, that the God who was with David is the God who walks with me. And those giants that are out there, they're defeatable mm. by his grace. Um, Elijah is a tough one. He's up there on the mountain and God's with him too. But you know what? When he gets done, he's beat up. <laughs> And he goes from that mountain into the wilderness and says, Lord, let me die. And I sometimes feel like, okay. And some people are critical of him about that. And I'm like, oh, man, that is so me. Some days <laughs> I'm just like, Lord, we had these battles and we hope we were victorious. And we hope we showed that you were mighty in that. But I'm beat up, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can keep going. I'd rather not keep going. Mm -hmm. And I, I'd not criticizing Elijah because I've been there with him and um, yeah, that God comes along and ministers to him mm -hmm. and cares about him and empowers him to keep going, mm -hmm. to, to accomplish the task that he has for him. And um, that's the same God who walks with me, who sees me on that mountaintop with all those people out there watching and uh, in OPD, all those people out there watching. And then yet you go back and you just, you weep because you know you're frail and you know you can't do it without him. Mm -hmm. And you wonder if you should be doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody else couldn't do it better or mm -hmm. look more spiritual doing it or more godly. Mm -hmm. And uh, and yet, um, he keeps reminding me that he's with me. That same God. Heather, that is so true. And you're doing that every single day. Thank you for doing that. You're an example to me. Was there anything else you'd like to share with us today? Well, so God has uh, given me a couple verses here lately that I've been pondering. And we're talking about how God's working in my life right now. So I just wanted to share those. And, and again, I've been stirring for a while. But um, one of the verses when I came back was Psalms one or 9, verse 1. And it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will count all of your wonderful deeds. And it's just a reminder to share these stories and that these stories are powerful in our lives and in sharing them with people, especially who are illiterate. Um, there's wonderful opportunities for them to learn and see God's truth in those. And then this was very, um, I don't know, cutting 
in some ways. Acts 13, 27. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, that being God, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And the fact that we could be teaching God's word, trying to explain it to other people, thinking that we get it, and doing this week in and week out, and yet not understanding those truths. Um, just God's been using that verse in my heart, my mind, to kind of reflect on, okay, what is our purpose in sharing, and, and are we actually sharing in a, in a meaningful, purposeful way, not just, okay, these are the stories, but why are we sharing this? And, um, and again, um, honoring God's word, realizing that it's powerful, and uh, not using it as a something that we spout to make us feel good, but that um, these are truths that we need to share, and uh, again, that are powerful about a powerful God who who loves us. Mm. Um, God's really been faithful. I think of one of my first contacts with the, the mission agency. I was in high school and I went to a teen conference and uh, one of the speakers shared about the slave that chose not to leave his master. And, and time and time again, he said this phrase, I love you, Lord. I will not go free, but I will serve you forever. And I think God used that to grip my heart as a teenager. And that has been a reminder of my commitment to mm. to serve him. Mm. Heather, thank you. You've been an encouragement to me. And uh, I know that you are an encouragement and, and, um, and a light in the fact that you are walking um, day by day with Christ in front of your patients in the midst of this difficult situation here. Thank you. Blessing and privilege to serve, even though... I'm so afraid. <laughs> Thanks. Psalm 107 verse 43 says about stories like this, those who are wise will take all this to heart. They will see in our history, the faithful love of the Lord. If you have a story you'd like to share, or you know of someone who does, please go to our website at www.seeinggodpodcast.wordpress.com and click on submit a story. God is doing things all over in all of his people, and we want to know about as many stories as possible. So please do go to the website and submit a story. Also, we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode or the podcast in general. You can tweet us at GodSeeing or comment on our Instagram or Facebook pages at Seeing God Podcast. You can also email us at seeinggodpodcast at gmail.com. This episode was produced in the studios at Lancaster Bible College. I'm Emma Moore. Our interviewer is Jan Gebert. Our engineer is George Haynes. And our show music is Siberia by Dmitry Lukyanov. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seeing God. <laughs>